0: Hello and welcome to Ask Me Anything on the Infinite ML pod. People reach out to me with uh, interesting questions all the time. And this segment is dedicated to answering those questions. If you have a question, please visit infinitemachinelearning.com to submit it. Let's dive in. Question number one. I've been a machine learning engineer for about five years now. I'd like to get into the space industry, but I don't know anything about it. How is machine learning used in the space industry, and how do I get into it? All right, space. Space, as they say, is the final frontier. Uh, Space industry has grown a lot in the last 10 years, especially after uh, the space industry opened up to the private sector. As, As humans, we have been... Exploring space for a long time, but it was the governments who uh, pursued this area. But SpaceX you know, they started um, they pioneered the model of uh, private companies pursuing uh, this industry, uh, and also NASA started to get more comfortable with it. So you know, with SpaceX and you know, many startups, big companies are building businesses around space. And um, it's been an exciting time. All right. So within space, there are two big areas when it comes to this question. Uh, There's uh, academic research. These are complex space missions planned by NASA and European Space Agency and and many other agencies around the world. And uh, the goal is exploration. They want to understand the planets, the solar system. So uh, it's not just academic research, but also uh, the missions are actually built and executed uh, to pursue knowledge. The second category is uh, the commercial part of it. These are space missions with the goal of uh, creating business value. So there are many problems uh, related to you know, climate change and weather and agriculture, commerce, population movements. All these uh, critical problems require access to data uh, on a large scale. And uh, it has to be global, meaning if you want to understand uh, climate change, you need data from around the globe. And uh, you can do planet-scale, ground-based systems. You can install them. You can monitor the planet, gather the data. But uh, it's... Prohibitively expensive, so that's where uh, satellites come into picture. Right now, more than three thousand active satellites are in orbit today. There are many more that are inactive. In fact, uh, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak has actually launched a company with the goal of uh, cleaning up space debris. All right, coming back to the use cases, like why do we launch satellites? Like why are they in orbit? What are they doing? Right, a couple of big categories. You know, one is communication. Obviously, it's been a, a very successful use case. Observing Earth. right? Basically, gathering data about Earth and uh, understanding what's happening. So you know, it's called Earth observation. The next is navigation and positioning. Uh, next is you know, space science, and Earth science. And uh, lastly, you know, tech development and demonstration. So some of the main use cases. Now, earth observation is something that's uh, fascinating. And also, many people are willing to pay a lot to have access to this data. So as a machine learning engineer, that's where you can have a a key role, meaning all the satellites up there, thousands of them, they're gathering data. And uh, now we got to make sense of it, right? So a couple of different Angles here. One is um, let's say you collect image data from around the globe, and um, we want to know what is happening in those images. And uh, also, once you capture the images, before you send them to Earth, you need to know if it's a good image or if it's a noisy image. Like there could be a cloud in between, it could be grainy. So the bandwidth is crucial. So onboard data processing is another key use case, meaning uh, anything that you can implement on the spacecraft itself uh, using machine learning, it'll be very useful. There are many other algorithms that are used to monitor the health of the spacecraft. Um, There are companies that are gathering images, uh, you know, hyperspectral imaging, uh, to convert that into useful information. Uh, so that uh, companies around the world can use that data to make decisions. So many interesting use cases. So if you're a machine learning engineer, I think just understanding what type of data is being gathered and uh, what do people want out of that. So understanding this this uh, use case and understanding how people interact with it is going to be very helpful. So yeah, that's that would be uh, a great thing to pursue here. All right. Question number two What do you think about using synthetic data to train AI systems? This is an interesting concept. When it comes to training uh, a machine learning model, you need a lot of data. And sometimes the data might not be available, or uh, there might be data available but it's only for a specific class or category, right? So what do you do when you need to train an AI system that can bifurcate 70 different categories and you don't have the data? That's where synthetic data comes into picture. Synthetic data consists of real-world data that has been anonymized, or artificial data that has been created by uh, an AI model. What this does is really it gives people access to large quantities of data uh, that can then be used to build uh, a specific application. There are actually many companies that are building products to solve this problem. Uh, Companies like AI.Revary, Parallel Domain, Datagen, Gretel.ai, Scale.ai, many, many startups. And the goal is to provide large data sets that can meet the requirements of a specific application. And this is actually a very useful way of building products when you don't have access to real-world data. Like uh, consider an example of an image recognition system, right? Uh, To train a really good deep learning model, you need all sorts of variations in color and shape and form, and you need many, many images for each each variation. And obviously, in the real world, it's either very expensive or you just don't have access. That's where synthetic data could be very useful. But we need to keep in mind that when we create synthetic data, it has to be validated. Because imagine a situation where you're using synthetic data to train a model that decides whether or not you can approve a loan if there is bias in the data or if the data is imbalanced then it will favor a certain type of people and it will it will reject uh, a certain group so it's very important that the synthetic data that is generated uh, is validated in the right way to make sure that it is Clean. It is good. It's fair, so that the machine learning model that gets built uh, is also clean and fair. So it's a very good mechanism to to deal with um, lack of access to data. Uh, this is this is very useful in in verticals such as healthcare, finance, uh, image recognition, many other verticals where uh, it could come in handy. Next question. Are foundation models going to become more and more prevalent in uh, production machine learning systems? Foundation models are very interesting uh, in how they function. Uh, These are models that are trained on a broad set of data, publicly available data, that can be used for a number of different tasks, right? With uh, hopefully with minimal fine-tuning. Now, one of the most famous examples of this is uh, the transformers. A uh, lot of examples like GPT-3 and BERT and Dolly, DALI, Dolly-2, many companies are building and releasing these large models. So transformers, they're a type of uh, neural network, and uh, the goal is to provide these foundation models. Uh, that can then be used to build specific applications. So for example, you can use the same foundation model to build a chatbot. You can use that and extend it in a way to uh, do sentiment analysis. You can use it to understand the meaning of the sentence in one language and translate it to another. So the goal of foundation models is to build these big models that usually you you need a lot of resources, like huge infrastructure, a lot of big data centers. So uh, companies are doing that. And uh, once you release a foundation model, people will then adapt it to different use cases with uh, the way you fine tune it is you take data from a specific uh, problem and then you, you fine tune the model so that it does what you want it to do. So, it's an interesting development. I am bullish on foundation models and what they can do. It's basically democratizing the machine learning model development, meaning not everybody has access to thousands and thousands of GPUs, uh, and, uh, but, but they have good ideas on how a machine learning can be used. So foundation models that are open sourced can help many people around the world. Use that as a starting point and then build applications that can actually serve your fellow human beings. So it's a very interesting development. I'm very uh, happy that uh, this is happening and uh, I'm curious to see how uh, different people use foundation models to build interesting applications. All right, question number four. What do you think about AI-powered code assistance tools like um, github copilot ai powered code suggestion tools are very uh, interesting i like it i personally am a big fan of ai assisted uh, anything uh, especially when they work well so you know, just like how gmail offers autocomplete features when you write when you write emails uh, ai assisted coding tools are something similar they don't that more than autocomplete uh, they don't just complete the the line, but when you actually want a specific line or a method or a class or a function, they actually give you a starting point. Right? You can obviously tune it to make it your own, but uh, it's a very interesting development. And uh, GitHub Copilot is the name of the product, and uh, it's powered by Codex. It's, a, it's an AI system developed by OpenAI, uh, it's been trained on billions of lines of publicly available code, and uh, it works well for multiple languages like Python, JavaScript, Ruby, Go, and a few others. So I like, I like it when uh, AI acts as uh, a nitro boost to uh, an existing engine. In this case, there are many, many developers around the world, uh, you know, coding is a well-known discipline, many people are are using it in so many different ways. If there's a tool that can accelerate you know, developing software, I'm all for it. And, uh, and again, tools like GitHub Copilot, we shouldn't think of them as um, like something that can run or stand on its own. That's not even the point of this. The goal is it acts as your pair programmer, meaning whatever you can do, you can do it faster with a a tool like this. And that's where it's very interesting. So AI-assisted coding tools, um, I like the concept, I like the idea. And uh, if you know how to code, it's going to be a fantastic addition to your arsenal. But it is not a substitute for learning coding. You got to know how to code. That's uh, a requirement. If you do, then... Uh, GitHub Copilot could be a fantastic tool that will accelerate you. But if you don't know how to code, then an, an AI-powered code suggestion tool will not do much for you, because you need to understand what is being generated. You got to fine-tune it. You got to make it your own. You got to deploy it, monitor it, and uh, all of that comes then only when you know how to code. So that's what I think of uh, tools like these. Uh, That's all we have for today. Thanks again for tuning in. You can visit infinitemachinelearning.com to subscribe to the podcast. I'll see you soon with another exciting episode.